I, I don't know if I can say it without tears, but uh, how many of you can remember back to 10 or 11 years ago, Palm Sunday? We had one little child in the church, in the senior center, and that was it. God's blessed, hasn't he? He's, he's given up to be glad today. I realize today is Palm Sunday. The kids reminded us of that. Uh, others have reminded us of that. But I'm not going to give a Palm Sunday message today. I have set out in January to get from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11 before we leave. And uh, the only way I can do that, because somebody took a week away from me this month is for me to continue the study of Genesis today. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the Palm Sunday accounts. You can go back and read them if you're not. But we're going to continue in the book of Genesis. So let's look at Genesis chapter 8 this morning. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water descended steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of mountains became visible. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. He sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him in the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days and again sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him. Now it came about in the 601st year, the first month of the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And I'm going to stop at that point because I read one verse too far this morning. Take that up two weeks from now. But uh, can you imagine what it must have been like to be cooped up in the ark, the same eight people, all of the animals, for 377 days. It must have been a tremendous experience. I mean, all of that time you're at the mercy of the wind, the currents, you have no idea what's going on outside, and then to finally be able to set foot on shore. must have been a a tremendous experience for Noah and his, his family there. 
we're not on an ark today. But you ever feel like it sometimes? Going through a problem, going through a trial, a struggle, and it just seems to go on and on, uh, 377 days plus perhaps, and yet uh, sometimes we need the truth of that song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We're someday going to be finally home with Christ in glory, but we're not there yet. We're on a journey of faith, just as Noah was on a journey of faith and his family there in the ark. What did they experience? We can only imagine. But as we look at what is being said here, I think God has some messages in this for us today as we navigate our journey of faith because there are trials that will come into our life. We have no idea when they're going to end. We have no idea what what is going to happen. How many of you know what you're going to do tomorrow? You've got your plans, don't you? But what if God changes your plans? We're, we're not home yet. We're on a journey of faith, and we have to take it moment by moment. The first thing that we see in chapter 8 is it found in verse 1 where he says, God remembered Noah. Now, we touched on that briefly last week as we ended chapter 7. I, I didn't want to leave it in chapter 7 without coming to that phrase, God remembered Noah. He is not suggesting here that God ever forgot Noah. God did not forget him. He was always on his mind all throughout the flood, all throughout that experience there. Uh, and yet, I, I like the, the phrase because how many of you have had times in your life when you felt like God's forgotten you? God's not there. How many of you have wrestled with some of those issues in your life? I remember as a young person, I was involved in Youth for Christ Ministries. They used to have, I don't know if they still do it or not, they used to have Bible quiz teams. Each school would compete. We actually had the Bible club in the schools, and we would compete against other schools and so forth. And through the process of elimination, I was eventually picked to go for our from our district to... Ocean City, New Jersey, for the the regional quiz team time there. And uh, it was a difficult time in in my life because I, at that point in time, didn't know whether my parents were going to stay together or not. They had been arguing. They had problems in in their marriage and so forth. And I I, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, you can pray about that, but you can't change it. Only God can change the heart there. And then on top of that, my dad was looking at a change in his job, which possibly would have meant in my senior year, I'd have to go to a big city high school out from the country to a larger school. And just everything was going wrong in my life at that point in time. And I was asking the question, does God really care? Does it matter to him? Uh, and for some reason, at, at this conference where we had, uh, it, it was kind of comical. We we didn't place it all as far as our quiz team was concerned because, you know, the the other teams had a little bit more, evidently, money than we had in our district. And, and everybody had those uh, little cushion things that you sit on, and when you, you start to stand up, it sets a bell off so they know who's the first one that that stood up, and that's the one that gets to answer the question. We weren't used to that, and so I'd lean forward in the chair, and the, the bell would go off before the guy had even finished the question. 
and, and you, you, you forfeited your, your chance to answer the question then. And uh, it, it just was kind of a comical experience. But uh, I, I remember wrestling at, at that conference with, does God really care about me? And then they had a, a singer come uh, as one of the special musicians. Her, her name was Flo if you've ever heard of Flo Price or not, back in the 60s, she did have some records out. That goes back a ways, and most of you aren't there yet. But uh, uh, it was kind of an unusual choice for a youth conference because she was, she was older at the time. But uh, I, I still remember her getting up and sharing that song, Does Jesus Care? Any, any of you know it? His heart is touched with my grief. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, it, it just ministered to my heart at that time to realize somebody understood, somebody cared for me. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. And I came to realize in the midst of all that was going on in my life at that time, all the changes that I was facing, that God was there and God really cared. The word remember in Hebrew is actually a idiom. It's an expression here that means not that he forgot and it came back to his mind, but it means he began to act on behalf of Noah. So that, that's what's behind that word remember. He began to act on behalf of Noah. It's used also in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, where we read that, that God heard the the, the groaning and the crying of his, the children of Israel in Egypt, and he remembered, and there was that word again, he remembered his covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And because of that covenant, God act in behalf of the children of Israel. We have a remembered service. We, we celebrated it last week as, as we remembered the Lord's service for us and so forth. It's a time for us to stop and reflect on the fact that God thought about us. God cared about us. Enough that he not just thought about us, but he acted in our behalf. He sent his son into the world for us so that we could have eternal life. God remembered, and he sent his son for us. And that is the idea behind verse 1 here, where he said, God remembered. No, he began to act in Noah's behalf and to meet the need that Noah was experiencing. Now, notice he starts out, but God. He uses the word Elohim now. If you go back to chapter 7, verse 1, we have, then the Lord, L-O-R-D, all in, in capitals there. Notice, I think there's a significance in the, in the change of, of the name of God that's being used here. In, in chapter 7, verse 1, where he says, Lord, where you see the word Lord spelled out in capital letters, it's a reference to Yahweh to the, the covenant-keeping God, to the God that has a, a personal relationship with his people. When you come to chapter 8, he's using the term Elohim, God. That's what he started out with in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. Here is the almighty one. Here is the, the creator God. And I think at this point in time, God was about to work another miracle in behalf of Noah. He was going to remove the destruction of the flood. He was going to recreate the world, in a sense, reshape it, reform it, make it into 
a place where Adam and Eve could again begin a new life. Uh, excuse me, not Adam and Eve. Noah and his wife could begin a, a new life together in the world in which God had from them. So he takes us back to the, the miracle working God here as he, he deals with God remembering Noah. As you think about that, uh, if you get nothing else out of today's message, uh, and I, I, I realize as time goes on, you tend to nod off. I, I, I see all of that, but that, that's okay. I, I, if, if too many of you nod off, I'll pound on the pulpit. That, that, that'll get everybody awake there. But if you get nothing else out of today's message, I, I want you to realize no matter what trial you may be going through, no matter whether it seems overwhelming like the flood must have seemed to Noah, God is there and God is working in your behalf. Don't lose sight of the fact that God understands what you're going through and he is going through that with you today. He is a miracle working God. He is recreating you into the image of Jesus Christ and he is at work whether you see it happening or not. He is at work in your life today, and I think you can give him thanks and, and praise for that. That's why I found a little bit hard to keep the tears back when I looked at what was taking place up here today. God was at work in the last 10 years, and sometimes we go through those years, and we don't even stop and think about it, do we, the changes that are taking place. But it's good for us to remember that God is acting in our behalf, and I believe, as he said in Matthew chapter 16, when he spoke with Peter there, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the hope that we have today. He is building his church, his way, and we can rejoice in, in that fact today. God is there with us as we go through the various situations. The second truth that we see here is God removed the waters. Now, he uses some natural means to do that, the wind. He closes the source of, of the waters. There's a steady decline for 150 days here. We might ask, how is that possible? Where did all the water go? The fact of the matter is we don't know. How many of you have sunk a well in your lifetime and found water down there? Where did it all come from? Well, God had it all planned out, didn't he? It, it, it's there. God knows. Uh, we, we don't understand all of the events that, that go on here. Uh, all of the catastrophic events that, that must have taken place, the changes to the topography, to the land itself. And we got a small glimpse of that when St. Helen blew its top and, and the tremendous changes that they experienced in, in that area. The canyon, the, uh, the, the mountain doesn't look quite the same as it used to anymore. Uh, all, all kinds of changes came there just within a, a few short hours there. As we mentioned last week, there is worldwide evidence to the flood that, that it happened. But the po point that I want us to look at here is God stepped in and said, enough is enough. It's time for the flood to, to abate. It's time for it to be over. I'm going to recreate, refashion the earth as you know it there today. And God stepped in and re remembered and acted in behalf of Noah. Um, I was thinking about that last night. My... Uh, Ginger was looking at something on Facebook. I, I personally don't go on Facebook. I don't even know how to go on Facebook. I, I was uh, challenged this week. Somebody, I don't, I don't see her here, so but I won't point her out anyhow. Somebody sent me a, a message, a text message, and said, do you know how to text? 
Well, yes, I do. I just prefer not to text. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I can get a, a sentence or two off if you give me five or ten minutes. <laughs> but uh, it just is not my thing there. But uh, she was on Facebook. Uh, that, that's more her thing that, than my thing. And, and somebody on there was challenging the belief in the flood. Uh, and um, they were saying, well, how... They had done the calculations of how much water it would take to cover Mount Ararat and so forth. And that's totally impossible, so the, the flood couldn't have happened. And, and they, wouldn't, they refused to believe it there. And the question I would like to ask that individual is, who said Mount Ararat was there? At that, or I mean, not Ararat, uh, Everest. Yeah, there you go, Mount Everest. How do you know it was there in that time? Maybe it came after the flood. There, there was tremendous upheavals going on. Maybe they didn't have the high mountains that we had today. We tend to be skeptical about some of these things, and, and God had it all worked out in, in, in advance there. Uh, God stepped in, though, and the ark settles on the mountain or the mountains of Ararat. Now, the obvious question is, where is that? Because if we could go there and find the ark, wouldn't that make a tremendous difference today? I really don't think it would, but uh, I'll touch on that in just a minute. I, I want to go on with Mount Ararat, the thought there. Some believe it's in on the border of Russia and Turkey. Uh, that uh, They've actually found evidence that there was something up there that, that looked like an ark. Whether it's actually the ark or not, we can't say today. It's in a very sensitive area, and, and they don't allow people to go into it. The, the word that he uses here, though, is plural. So it, it's not necessarily one mountain. It could be there is a chain of mountains on, on the, the uh, western border of Iran that are called the mountains of Ararat. And, and so perhaps that is the area where the ark settled. Many have searched for the ark. Many think they have found it or know where, where its location is. You ever think it would be great to find it? to be able to show to the world, hey, this actually happened, here's the ark. I hate to disappoint you, but I don't think it would change anything at all. If they want to be skeptical, they're going to be skeptical. Uh, we say seeing is believing, but uh, that's not really true. Uh, we, we believe what we, we want to believe there. And the reason I say that is because Psalm 19 says in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. And yet how many of our scientists look at the heavens and say there is no God? All happened by chance, just a big bang, and here it came. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and, or 18 and 19, Paul says uh, in, in, in 19, that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen by being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And yet how many people today, even though all of that testimony is there through creation, how many people close their eyes, willingly refuse to believe in a creator God? It, it, the testimony is there. And, and even if we found the ark, I don't think it would make a whole lot of difference in the thinking of a lot of people. For instance, I, I, I don't know what, I didn't look this up in my in history books. Anybody know where the Mayflower is today? Good. 
I'm on safe grounds then because I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know if it even exists today. Uh, but if somebody actually found the Mayflower, would that conclusively prove that the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower? No, what? We, we'd be skeptical about it. Uh, we accept the testimony of those supposedly that came over on it, but we didn't see it. We didn't know it. Uh, even if they found it, it would not prove it. And even if we found the ark today, it's not going to prove to the skeptic that the flood actually existed. I think personally we're not going to find it. Um, very good possibility. If I was Noah, you know what I'd use to build my first house? Uh, yeah, and I got to cut down a tree and start over again. I got all that timber sitting there. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but it was demolished and used for houses and, and so forth there. The important thing is that God remembered and God acted. Whether we can see the evidence of that or not in the world today doesn't make any difference. We have the word of God and God remembered. God reacted. God removed the water for Adam and Eve. And he does the same thing in our lives. You read the scriptures. You come to the book of Job. You remember the tests and the trials that Job went through? Time after time. I don't know how long that experience was for Job. You read 39 chapters of it, and and you wonder how many days, how many weeks, was it a year? How, How long did he experience all of that? And the important thing, though, is that all through that time, God was with Job. God set the limits. God said, Satan, you can go this far. You can't go any farther than this. God was there. God acted in behalf of Job, and he eventually comes and and meets with Job. The Apostle Paul experienced the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, where he wrestles with the fact that he had a thorn in the flesh. He had a problem. And if you have a thorn in the flesh... Not, not, not the person sitting next to you now. <laughs> uh, you, you have a problem that you've wrestled with and you can't seem to resolve and it just goes on and on. And three times Paul came to the Lord and said, Lord, remove it. Please, please remove it. And three times the Lord came to Paul and said, no, I'm not going to do it. But he did go on to say in chapter 12, verse 10 there, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. What he was really saying there is, Paul, I'm not taking it away, but I'm going to walk through that experience with you. I'm going to be with you. I will remember you. I will act in, in your behalf. Even though you don't understand what I'm doing, I will be there for you. And the third thing that happens here is God restored the land, verses 6 through 12. Noah waits he doesn't attempt to leave the ark. He waits almost two months after that. the ark had settled there. He knew there was dry land out there. Uh, another two months before he, he actually comes out of, of the ark. He sends a raven out first, 40 days before he comes out of the ark. Um, the window is open. He releases the raven. The raven doesn't return. Now, a raven is a scavenger bird. Now, it... Uh, can easily find food. It'll eat just about anything, eat the carrion or whatever is out there. It didn't have any need at all to return to the ark. Its needs were being met out there. Why go back to the ark, being cooped up in a, in a little cage in the ark when you can enjoy the freedoms of the new world that, that God is happening? So he stays out there. He, at the same time, sends out a dove or a pigeon now 
That's a clean animal. They won't eat carrion. They won't feed on, on the carrion and so forth. Uh, it, it, the, the dove or pigeon has powerful wing muscles. Uh, someone has said one-third of the weight of the pigeon is the wing muscles. It can travel long distances. It, it can fly a long ways. You, you, you know, you see those doves and you see them fly up. You wonder how in the world sometimes they get anywhere. But they have powerful muscles. They, 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 can, they can cover the miles if they, if they want to. They prefer valleys to mountains. They prefer a, a clean, dry place to build a nest. They will not nest where there's water. They, they, they prefer the, the dry valleys. And this dove evidently didn't find a, a good nesting place or a place to settle. So it comes back to the ark. And uh, Noah takes it in. Seven days later, he sends it out again. Still wasn't satisfied with what it found. Kind of like some people when they're looking for a house. They'll look at this house, and then they look at that house, and, and it takes a long time for them to be actually satisfied. And then they buy it, and then they're not satisfied. Uh, and, and on and on it goes there. But that, that was this dove here. It comes back with an olive leaf or an olive branch in its beak. Noah knew that the water was abated. He knew that the trees were out there. He knew that, that life was re- being renewed out there. And another week later, he sends out the dove, and this time it doesn't return. It evidently found food, found dry land, found the place that it liked, and it was staying out there. And Noah knew it was time to leave the ark. They were approaching that moment. And that leads us to the fact that in this passage, we also see that God rewards the faithful here. The cover is removed. The door is open. The first day of the first month of the 601st year of Noah they actually wait till the second month, the 27th day of the month. That's a long time to wait, two months, 57 days, before they actually go out of the ark. Now, I, I, I just wonder, were they patient individuals? How many of you like to wait 57 days for something? I mean, I, in the boat with a bunch of animals, uh, uh, perhaps some of the people that you got, the people complaining, why can't we go out? Is it time yet? Uh, you, you, you ever had that experience with your kids when you're driving long distances? Are we there yet? How much longer is it going to be? Uh, on and on it goes. Uh, uh, and I don't want to put a burden on the kids today. Uh, I, I, I struggle at a red light. Why do I have to wait this long? <laughs> I'm in a hurry. Why? Why, why are the lights all against me when, when I'm in a hurry there? We, we struggle with patience, but Adam and Eve waited, or Noah waited 57 day, days before he actually, from the time he opened the, the door to the time they, they actually went. What was he waiting for? I believe he was waiting for God to say, it's time, it's time. Go out of the ark. And he waited for that because God was the one that said go into the ark. God was the one that had shut the door. God was the one that was in control of this situation. And so he's waiting for God to say it's the right time. It's time for you to to step out and to begin a a new life for me. And he does eventually. I, I think the problem that we struggle with is often his timing is different than ours, isn't it? Sometimes we would like his time to be quicker than it is. And yet he says, wait, I've got it in control. I know what I'm doing. You just wait until I give you the green light, so to speak there. And so God says, go, be fruitful, 
multiply, replenish the earth. And we'll, we'll see more of that as we move in next two weeks from now in, into the, the last part of this chapter as we see an act of worship on, on Noah's part here. But as we think of that, that was a, a new start for Noah and for his family. Uh, it was an opportunity to begin anew for mankind. Uh, they, they were establishing a new order, a new home. A, everything was going to be new for them in their lives. And I think there's a lot of parallels in the account of Noah with what we go through today. I I, I won't ask for a a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you are going through a trial. Maybe it's not a trial as serious as the flood was, but if it's touching your life and your heart, it's serious, isn't it? Uh, And you struggle with, what is God doing? What, how in the world is he going to remove the pain or the heartache or, or, or the trial? It, it may be uh, interpersonal conflict. It, it may be natural catastrophes. I wonder how many people back in the Midwest are wondering, is this winter ever going to be over? The flooding? I was thinking of that yesterday. or No, actually it was this morning. I counted up. I think we probably have to wait another seven months before we see snow. I hate to disappoint you, but that's probably reality. Uh, uh, when, when is it going to be over? Uh, when is that trial going to pass in, in your life? And some of them are more severe than others. But I want you to hold on to the fact today, in the midst of that trial, God remembers God is about to act. God will work out his will in your heart and life. And someday, you're going to step out of this world and into the glorious future that God has for you. Remember, this world, it's not our home. We're just passing through. We're headed home to glory. Jesus said, I go in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come and receive you unto myself. The day is coming when you and I will be finally home. We're not there yet. There's trials, there's struggles along the way, but even if you feel like you're in the ark and the storm is raging and you don't know where it's going to end, God is there. God remembers. God will act in, in your behalf today. We sometimes sing that song, it will be worth it all. Do you believe that? Are you looking forward to the day when you have to change that song? You're not going to sing, it will be worth it all. It was worth it all. When we see all that God has been doing in our lives and through our lives, and we only get a glimpse of that today. We don't fully understand what he is doing in the midst of the trials, do we? But he does. And as we look back from glory, we're going to see God orchestrated those events for our good and for his his glory today. That's why Paul in Philippians 1 could say, you know, it doesn't really matter whether I live or die as long as God's glorified. The day was coming when he was going to be glorified with God in eternity. Colossians 3.10 speaks of the fact that we are being recreated into the image of Jesus Christ. We're not there yet. But as you look at your life, can you see some changes? Can you see what God has done over the last year or two years or 10 years? Can can you see how he's been working in your life, preparing you for eternity? He's been acting in your behalf. 
Years ago, I cut out of a newspaper an article entitled Hard Knocks. It was a story that took place during the Great Depression. Uh, a man had lost his job. He exhausted his savings. He had forfeited his home. His grief was multiplied by the sudden death of his wife. The only thing he had left was his faith, and it was weakening in, in his life. One day, he was combing the neighborhood looking for work. He stopped to watch some men that were working on a, on a rather large stone church building there. One of the men was sitting on the ground with a chisel and a rock and a hammer. He was chiseling away at, at, at this rock, uh, chiseling it into a, a triangular piece of rock. Not seeing any place where it would fit, th- th- this man asked, where are you going to put that? The man pointed to the top of the building, and he said, you see that little opening up there near the spire? He said, that's where it goes. I'm shaping it down here so it will fit up there. And that's what God's doing in the trials, in the struggles that we face. He's shaping us down here so that we fit in, in in eternity. And and, uh, tears filled the man's eyes as he heard those words. He found new meaning in his difficult situation. And we can find that same meaning as we walk through life, knowing that God remembers. Remember so much that Isaiah chapter 43, he says, Thus saith the Lord your creator, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You like that verse? I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Then he goes on to add these words. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I, the Lord, your God, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And he goes on to speak of the salvation that he has given to his people. He walks with us through the floods. He was with them, with Noah, with his family. In In the midst of that terrible experience, he was there. He was with the children the, the three children of Israel, when they were through the fiery furnace, remember Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown in because they refused to bow down and, and worship his idol. And Nebuchadnezzar looking in, what did he see? Four individuals, not just three. And he said, the fourth is like the son of man or the son of God there. God was with his children in the fire. And they came out, didn't even smell of fire on their clothes, couldn't, they hadn't been scorched. God them through the waters, took them through the fire, and led them safely through the trials of this life. And God is doing the same thing in your life today. You may not realize it at times. You may look at the pain. You, you may see the heartache. You may question, what in the world is God doing? Where is he when I need him? Taking comfort from Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord remembers. The Lord knows, and the Lord is acting in your behalf today, and we can give him thanks and praise for that. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of the trials of life that we face, sometimes it's difficult for us to see the reality of the fact that you're there. But you do understand the heartaches. Because Jesus went through them for us. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. You do care. You care so much that you sent your son to the cross to die for us so that we could experience eternal life. 
Help us never to lose sight of the fact that no matter what is going on in our life, in this moment, you are there. And we give you thanks and we give you praise for who you are, what you are able to do in our life. You have said I'm able to do exceeding abundantly above anything that you can ask or think. Father, some of us have some great imaginations and we can imagine some great things, but uh, it's nothing compared to what you're able to do. And we give you thanks and praise for that. Lead us through the trials. Lead us through the heartaches, the pain, whatever it is that is touching our life and help us to keep our eyes focused and fixed upon you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. With that in mind, we're going to sing God Leads Us Some of the Way. Nope, he leads us all the way, doesn't he? God leads his children along there. Let's sing it.